Hello and welcome to Stick Around, a suicide discussion. If you or someone you love struggle with mental illness, this is the place to be. I'm Kel Bjorn, and I'm passionate about helping others discover ways to find value in their lives. You've got friends, you've got family, you've got plenty of people who want you to stick around. So let's open up and see if we can make a difference. Hello, everyone. Kel Bjorn here again, ready for this week's Stick Around episode. Today, I'll be speaking with our guest, Judy Van Epperen. Judy is a wife of Ray and mother to five children and one angel. She lost her middle son to suicide in December 2017. Her family, her life, and her outlook have changed forever. In honor of her son, Chris, she strives to promote mental health and suicide awareness, perform daily acts of kindness as he did, and encourage others to do the same. So welcome, Judy. Hey, good to see you. Yeah, it's great to have you. (laughs) So I met Judy um, probably a couple months ago. There was a county council meeting um, where we're actually opposing this huge community building project in our area where we live. Um, And I I ended up talking with Judy afterwards and was very impressed with how open she is about her son, Chris, and the passion that she has for sharing her story and really using that to help other people in a similar situation. Um, so it's, it's kind of hard to know, Judy, where to begin at this point. It's kind of a difficult topic, um, but I figured a good place to start is to kind of go off of what you were saying in the intro, um, that your son was kind of known for doing a daily act of kindness. Can you kind of dive into that a little bit, maybe give some examples on the type of person he was? Right. Absolutely. Um, first, I just wanted to do a quick little shout out to my, my hubby, Ray, and to my, my beautiful kids, Jennifer, Michael, Elizabeth, Susan, and Jake, and all my grands out there. I've got seven grands. So hi, guys. Awesome. So one of my earliest and <laughs> kind of the cutest and funniest memories I have of Chris is um, when his little brother was born. Hmm. Um, he, he wanted to feed that kid so bad. <laughs> and of course, at the time I'm, I'm nursing him and, you know, and at, when Jake was born, oh, I still had two or three kids still, I think this, our oldest were in school and I had all these little kids running around and I swear if I, I can't even count the number of times I pulled Cheerios out of Jake's mouth or cheese or whatever snack I was giving Chris, he was determined he was going to share that with his little brother. So that's funny. I, so I had to either carry Jake in a backpack that, you know, like the, the pack that you put on the front or the back, or I had yeah. to have a little infant seat up on the counter where I could see him and watch him. So he, he started very early. Um, and then, um, we've been here about 15 years and, and some of the best stories I have are since we've moved here. Um, so one of my absolute favorite ones when, um, Chris was a junior in high school, um, actually one of the former Miss Harriman's asked him who they were just good friends, asked him to take her to homecoming. So they oh, went cool. to home. He didn't have his license yet. So I had to drive them there and then they had arranged that I'd come pick them up but she actually wound up going home her mom came and got her or whatever and uh, I remember pulling up in front of the school and Chris comes out and he says to me um could we give somebody else a ride home I was like oh yeah sure and he's like can I drive 
<laughs> so, and the background, I have a Mustang convertible and oh, Chris, nice. loved her, so yeah, so he wanted that. Anyway, this other girl that was at the prom, her date was treating her really terribly and Chris felt really bad for her. So, oh. so they got in the car, I got in the back seat and then, um, we went, we came back to our house and Chris said, would it be okay if I, I'm going to get myself in trouble here where I broke the law. I, he said, if I just take her up the street to, to iceberg to have some ice cream, can I drive her by myself? And I said, sure. But I said to him, come on in, go change your tie so that you can have the same color that she's wearing. Oh. And it was just, it was all his idea. And it just, it just spoke to who he was. And then, um, you know, after he passed, I had a lot of his friends either email me or, or message me or come and just say, oh, I just had broken up with my boyfriend and was really unhappy and he brought me ice cream. Or I, my car broke down and I didn't have any way to get home and he came and got me. Um, he, uh, <clears throat> one of the girls that he had gone to high school with, I didn't even know who she was. And she reached out to me and she said, do you know that when we were having one of our dances that he wasn't even going to, he came and he helped me set up and just spent all this time, hours helping me set up and, wow. and that stuff. So and like I said, he just, he, he went out of his way to look to see who was unhappy in the room or who needed to laugh. And that was who he was gravitated to. So I think that had to do with how he felt inside and he wanted to make sure that nobody else felt that way. Wow. That's a really, just a great example. I mean, I think of, especially with that age group, it's kind of rare to have someone looking outward like that. Cause it's a tough time, you know, you're trying to fit in, you're trying to figure out who you are and that kind of stuff. And I don't know, especially I think of girls at that age right now with just the way the world is right now and how difficult that is and to have someone kind of reach out and, and care. I mean, think about that girl's homecoming night could have been an absolute disaster, you know, a terrible memory turned into a pretty good one. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and I did hear from her after he passed away and yeah, it's, I think that um, I I think that you would be amazed at how good these kids can be to one another when they when they want to and when the opportunity is there. But yes, we generally think as teenagers and and young adults being more selfish. But I don't think they mean to be that way. I think, as you said, it's tough. Yeah. And it's knowing where you belong or whether you're accepted and whether you have friends. That's really hard. That is a because everybody wants to at least be liked. <laughs> yeah. And that can be that can be really hard. So, and when you don't have the tools and the experiences to help you at that point in your life, yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. Wow. Well, there's some great examples. Um I guess a couple other things. What else was Chris known for? Did he have hobbies in particular or favorite movies? Like what kind of kid was he on that oh, side of things? Uh, he, he was a huge gamer, loved, oh, yeah. game, loved gaming, um, uh, many hours of him and all of his friends being down in our basement and the hooting and, and the hollering and, you know, <laughs> just, and some of the expletives that we shoot up from up there. And of course I do the Captain America language. Sorry, Mrs. <laughs> Sorry, Mrs. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Destiny, Halo, Call of Duty, all the ones that were about being a hero or warriors and, and strategizing together as a team. Yeah. Um, uh, a couple things about him that I wanted to share. Um, he was an Eagle Scout. Oh, cool. He, especially towards the end, he really did that on his own. Wow. Um, and and since we're both from here, he did a project up at the reservoir, which was which had just barely opened, and he just um, <clears throat> helped clean it up, and then he painted a lot of the curbing for the no parking section. Oh, cool! Yeah. Um, <clears throat> he uh, when he was uh, his sophomore year in high school, and when he was fourteen, turning fifteen, he had uh, run cross country at his high school. And at the end of the year, one of the boys on his team gathered all of them and planned out, and they ran Ragnar. Oh, cool. Was, that was really amazing. I know he was very proud of that. Um, he played rugby his junior year, um, and uh, he, he took guitar lessons. He loved to play guitar. He self-taught himself piano. He loved to read, absolutely loved to read. Hmm. He was always had, and he, he liked a lot of fiction, a lot of fantasy, things like that. Um, he, huge Lord of the Rings fan. Anything Lord of the Rings, he was big on that. Harry Potter, or all the Marvel movies, Star Wars movies. Yeah. Um, one of his more dramatic movies that he liked, his favorite one was Saints and Soldiers. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he loved comedies. He just loved comedies, and... Uh, he just uh, he just loved to laugh and loved to make other people laugh. I have tons of really short videos of him where, you know, when the the water bottle bottle challenge where you flipped it and oh yeah, <laughs> you know, and I have <laughs> I have a one really funny video of him where he's in our backyard and there's it's I don't know how much snow we had but we had a lot of snow. He had no shirt on. He falls back into the snow and makes a snow angel. So that's and nuts. <laughs> and I have another funny video of him with his uh, oldest brother and, and his family and they, uh, my kids, they decided that it would be fun to sled down a slide at the park. So they both put their sled on the inside of like a tube type slide. Oh, and, seriously? Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Funny. <laughs> but you know what? They're treasures to me now. They yeah. are absolutely treasures i i can't even i would give up everything just to keep those those videos and those moments so yeah but, well so uh, what is the the time frame on that had he when 2017 came along had he already graduated high school yes he graduated okay. in 2018 yes okay so he's just a year out I'm, i guess i'm wondering at this point at what point did you start seeing signs of mental struggles or were there any at all leading up to him taking his life? Well, I would say that I started to see a difference by the beginning of his senior year. Um, He had some, it, it was just a difficult time. I think while he had, he had played rugby hardcore like the last year before that. And then when he went into his senior year, he decided not to play sports anymore and he just focused on working and, and school. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> he, uh, one of his very best friends that he had been really close with since we had moved here in elementary school was moving to California. 
And then um, by Christmas time, he, he had started seeing a girl in the fall and um, they had broken up right after Christmas and that really devastated him. Yeah. And really quickly after that was like the first time that I know he came home, he, he had smoked pot and was high. And I remember sitting and having to have that conversation with him. And then by the spring, <clears throat> his anxiety about what he was going to do after school was just, I could see it was affecting him. And even though his dad and I, we tried to tell him, you don't have to have it all figured out, but you're also not just going to lay around or just game all day. We, yeah. we want purpose. We want you to, you know, and the great thing about now and this time in your life you can try all these different things. You can make mistakes and you can, and it's not going to cost you a lot like it will as you get older and maybe have a family or you're out on your own and you've got to pay all your own bills. But, um, <clears throat> it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a little rough. And then finally kind of by the end of his senior year, we kind of had him set where we were like, just go to the community college, just take a couple classes and try different things. You don't have to go into it knowing what you're going to major in and what you're going to do the rest of your life. Um, it was hard. It was, you know, a lot of the signs and things that I saw, it was, it was very hard to distinguish between what was teenage angst, teenage, typical, trying to figure things out, and true depression. Right. Though I do have to say, um, anxiety and depression do run on both sides of our family. And I would encourage parents out there, if it's even on one side, keep an eye on your kids because I have, I have two. His, his, my youngest daughter, his older sister, um, struggles with those things. And then it was, but, and then, and again, it was a difference between a boy and a girl with her. It was, she would come to me and I could look at her face and I could tell Yeah, he, he hit it a lot better. And, um, the, the six months before he passed away, <clears throat> oh no, really more like the four months before he passed away. That's when I was seeing some of the typical signs like isolating himself, um, not showering, n not sleeping. Um, he was self-medicating with, with, drugs and alcohol. And, and at that point I didn't know the extent because like the first thing I noticed was he wasn't showering. Yeah. You know, teenage boy, dude, you got to get a shower, <laughs> you know? Um, and so as soon as I said something, then that went away. But then within a couple of weeks, I'm like, crap, you're not sleeping either. Yeah. And he would hide that better. And then by October or so was when I found alcohol once and again, then I never saw it again. So it was, it was hard. It was really hard. And he was an adult. He was 19 at that point. So it wasn't like I could just cart him off and say, you're going to go into a program or you're going to do this. Yeah. His dad and I just really tried to keep open communication and just let him know we're here. And if you ever need anything, no matter what, you're not going to shock us. You're not going to disappoint us. We love you no, no matter what. But as the kind of person he was, he didn't want to be a burden and he didn't want us to worry about him. So, yeah. And it's hard. Uh, so it is. And so for parents out there, you know, we need connection. Don't let your kids seclude themselves. And even if it seems like, like Chris was getting up 
going to school, going to work, hanging out with friends. But when he wasn't doing those things, he was in his room. And if we tried to get him to come eat with us or go out or do something, it was a struggle. So I think that that's one of those interesting uh, signs that I wish I had. I, you know, I know so much more now than I did then. And yeah. I wish it was that way, but it is. Well, it's interesting, I guess, looking back, and even for our own lives, if, if you look back at that time, I remember going through that, you know, the expectations of, I got to figure out what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Because high school, for me, I guess I was kind of similar, pretty outgoing, played a lot of sports, that kind of stuff. And once you get out of high school, it's like, the, the plan is kind of gone. You know, it's like, you start to worry and try to figure it out. And, and um, I mean, I guess I had older brothers that picked their careers pretty quickly. And I had no idea what I wanted to do. And that really <laughs> wore on me. And I went through college and the whole time, I'm still like, I, I don't know. <laughs> oh, and now yeah. I'm in my mid thirties and I'm in a good job and that kind of stuff, but I've never had like this direct path. So looking back, I, I almost look at situations like this where, you know, those, those kids, they need to know that it's okay to not totally know what you're going to do because your plan probably is going to change. Even if you think that's what you want to do. Absolutely. The only thing that we have a guarantee on is change, right? Yeah. As, and I, I struggle with that where I'm like, why can't the things that I want to change change and the stuff I don't <laughs> want to change stay the same? Yeah. And it's, it, it's just not like that. And, uh, yeah, I, I think Chris might've felt some of that too, because his, his older brother was pretty set on what he wanted to do. And, and maybe he did feel a little, a little pressured about that. And uh, I'll tell you as a, as the mother of sons, and I am, please do not take this as I'm discounting girls or my daughters or women in general, but yeah. the way the world is today, it's geared towards them and them succeeding. And that makes me incredibly sad in that the way that it's going about is by putting men down or, or uh, devaluing young men and what men have to offer. And it, that makes me very sad. And I really do think that that affected Chris and how he felt about himself. Yeah. And I, I am all for empowering women, but not at the expense of men. Absolutely not. It's just, why can't everybody win? Why can't yeah. we find a patient system that, uh, that wants to cater to both sides, not just, women now it's just I had I had a really rough time with that in the very beginning and as I look back at some of his artwork and and uh and some things that he wrote I know he was feeling that so as you were saying about your your experience that's what it made me think of that hmm. and I all the young men that are listening to listening to this know that you will figure everything out and you, you the world is at your feet and you do have to work and you've got to make some choices and you've got to do some research, but it, it'll be okay. And it'll work out. And you know, we need you and we need men to be men and we need women to be women. So and we think that people, you know, for who they are and, and not put a lot of, you have to do this or you have to do that. Kids yeah. need to 
they can make some choices. I think a big thing these days is, uh, I, I guess men are probably feeling this more so that it's, you want to be macho, you want to be masculine, you know, it, historically it's like men need to be physically strong. And now it's like, okay, we need to be mentally strong too. And that's just not emphasized or maybe it's not cool <laughs> to right. be open about what you're feeling. And, and it's, it's almost shocking to find out that, oh, they're pretty much everyone else feels these types of things at some point in their lives. And a lot of times we feel like we're alone and scared. And if I share this, I might seem not as macho like I'm supposed to be. Right. And that I'm weak or that I'm, yeah. you know, that can be relied on or I'm not going to be the hero. You know, because I, I think that that's been very lost is that men need to feel like they're a hero and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Hmm. I think that like most women have that innate quality within them to nurture and to love and have those things. Well, men's kind of innate and self-value is, you know, and I don't mean the hero like you're wearing a cape flying around or you've <laughs> got your special shield or but that you're, that people can rely on you and that yeah. they trust you to, to be there and to take care of them when, when things are hard and when there is an emergency or whatever. And that's very doable if we all empower and, and enable one another to, to have those and to live those qualities that, we're, that are just part of who we are. Yeah. I think one thing that can kind of, I guess, thinking in my own situation and I don't, I don't mean to point the, the finger at me on the kind of how my life has gone, but I think of my kids. When you talk about being a hero, I mean, any dad of young kids, you come home from work and they think you're Superman and it's awesome. But there's those thoughts that, man, if they knew that I'm not really as awesome as they, as they think, you know, and that could be depressing if you're not careful. Um, you know, I think of these young kids too, like, they want to have that feeling and maybe they don't feel like they're capable of being someone that other people look up to is, is kind of, kind of that hero feeling that we might be shooting for and, and not really getting a lot of times. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So I guess at this time when you started noticing some things were getting um, more difficult for Chris, did, did you look for any other options for help for him or did he pursue any, any help from, medications or doctors or counselors or anything like that? Well, as I said, because he was, uh, he, he was 19 and I, as a parent, he was a legal adult and I couldn't oh, yeah. make anything, but I, I encouraged those things. Um, I, my husband and I kept very open dialogue with him and just let him know we're here. And, you know, we would drop just statements, say, well, Maybe I'm wrong, but I think I'm seeing this. And if you need to talk to me, I'm here. I also, as is just me, I reached out to his older brothers and sisters and said, hey, we, you know, why don't you come pick Chris up and why don't you guys go out and have something to eat? Or I think he's struggling with this. And so they tried to help as much as they could. Yeah. Uh, and what I wish I had done now in the, you know, the whole hindsight is 2020. I wish I had just put my foot down and said, you need to go to a treatment program because I could, I didn't have, I didn't have rock hard evidence, 
but I knew he was self-medicating with illegal drugs. Yeah. And, that, and it scared me. It scared me because I have that background. Um, I've been clean and sober for about 30 years now. And I come from I, the, my background. You know, I have a lot of family members that struggled with alcoholism hmm. all their whole lives. And, and it worried me. And my kids, I never, like, I never hid any of that from them. And I didn't glorify it. I just said, I'm giving you some information that you need to think about when, before you make these choices, that it's there. So if you play around with drugs, alcohol, things, the likelihood that you're going to become addicted is there. So just, I can't make you, stop you, save you. I'm just trying to help you. And you know, and I recognize, and I think we parents need to recognize that we are not our children's saviors. They already have one of those. We just need to be their parent and we need to be a partner with them and help them to make good decisions, um, not get super upset when they do make a mistake and just keep it so that they feel like they can come to us. Right. That we're not going to be upset, disappointed, hurt. And I, I was terrible at that. I did not, I have a terrible poker place. I'd be, I'd be a horrible gambler <laughs> because I just wear everything on my face. I wear my feelings on my sleeve. And um, my, I think my kids, you know, they knew, they knew I was worried. And I'm sure that that didn't help with things with Chris. But yeah. if I go back, I would have been more insistent and just said, look, you need to do this. You know, but at the time, because of things and the way they were, we didn't want him to pick up and just move out because at least him being in our home, we had some influence, but we, we were afraid if he moved out, that would be, that would, he probably never would have finished college or at least not, you know, early on. And, and I just think he would have, he had already started hanging with the wrong people. Once he graduated high school, all the kids he grew up with never came to the house anymore. He still mm. stayed friends with them, but we just didn't see them and all of his new friends I knew I had no idea who they were. Yeah. And another troubling thing that I should have realized. So. Yeah, that's tough. Worried about somebody. Yeah. Get help. Get them help. If you're really that worried, then there's probably a reason why. So I guess that's my advice to parents and friends. Yeah. If you're really worried, there's all kinds of great, there's the safe Utah app that you can, you can text in and, and not report somebody, but you know what I mean? Just there's health professionals that'll be alerted that you're worried about somebody, you know, and then the university of Utah has a great program that they have a mobile crisis unit that'll come out and they've got therapists and medical people and stuff. So yeah, if you're worried about somebody, let them know and, and encourage that person also to reach out for help on their own. Yeah. I mean, just the resources available these days. I think the biggest difficulty is just kind of getting through the door, you know, getting that person willing to listen. And there are plenty of people, I guess my biggest thing is, is just helping people know that you're not the only one because that's those feelings you have. You feel like no one else really gets this. No one understands, but there are plenty of people that have been in this same situation that want to help you through it. Um, so that's, I don't know, that kind of leads me to another conversation. I know we talked before um, 
that around this time, I don't really know the time period, but it, it seemed like in the, within the same high school or the same town, there was kind of a string of teen suicides that had been happening. Um, whether those are all connected or not, I guess I'm not really clear on that. But was there was there kind of a pattern there that Chris was a part of, or how did that all work out? Oh my gosh, that was let me tell you what a what a school year that was. Um, so first of all, of course, we were going through our own struggles um, with Chris. My youngest was a senior that year. Okay, and he. Um, about for those young people that um, that are not with us anymore, he was really close with. Uh, so not only grieving the loss of his brother, but he was grieving the loss of a couple of really good friends. One of the young men, he worked with my son and daughter. I had just talked to this this young man Saturday, and he was taken by suicide that following Wednesday. And it, it was just a really rough year for us. Um, they brought in um, a specialist in the medical examiner's office. His name is Michael Staley, that he was kind of trying to piece all that together. And um, I actually need to reach out to him and ask him now that we're two years out, if there's more information that he's gathered. Um, I wish I had an answer as to why that was. I, mm. I just don't, other than, like I said, I think that they're, um, I think kids were feeling, and I think they still are, they were feeling a lot of pressure. Um, here where we live, I am a firm believer in seasonal depression, that we have such a long winter here. I really mm. think it affects people. I think our altitude affects people. Um, and I think our kids being so connected through, uh, are their phones and their electronics as opposed to face to face uh, i think that um i think that has uh i think that has part to play in in all of that um i the families that i know pretty close um some of the common threads and this was also shared by that the specialist that um there was some drug use at least marijuana uh breakups and just depression. Yeah. So those were kind of the common threads. And then of course, each individual has some other individual personal or family things that were going on, but right. you know, that those were the three common things. And also one of the things that um, we had a community event and we had Michael come and talk to everyone. And uh, the first thing he said to everybody was those kids were loved. They were in homes where they were cared about. They weren't being abused, neglected, uh, not taken care of. They were like, they, from the, from the, just looking from the outside in, very normal families. Hmm. And, and as a parent that has lost a child to suicide, that's, that's important for people to know. You know, we, we weren't just leaving our kid to his own devices. Right. But, there's only so much you can do and if they don't want to open up and let you in you know it's it's just it's a really difficult place to be in and yeah. and in is a difficult thing to deal with for that person and the people that love them hey everyone i like to keep these episodes to about 30 minutes each so for my conversation with judy i am creating a part two 
of that interview, which can be found in episode five. Hey, thank you again for listening in today. If you truly are struggling and having suicidal thoughts, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. They are available 24 hours every day and are anxious to help people in need. If you prefer to text, I would recommend the Crisis Text Line. They provide 24-7 support via text message. They're here for everything from anxiety, depression, and suicide. So even if you don't consider yourself suicidal, please text HOME to 741-741. That's H-O-M-E to 741-741. And simply open up about how you're feeling. Until next time, let's all stick around and help each other find hope and see value in life.